Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. President Trump should be arriving in Kenosha. Well, actually, he's going to be arriving in Waukegan at any moment, and then there'll be a motorcade to Kenosha. We're, we're going to touch on that just a little bit later in, in the program. I want to start off with some other things, and then we will spend some time on the president's visit. Um, we are monitoring the situation. There are, are three kind of anti-Trump rallies that have been planned. There's a number of the president's supporters that are down there as well. Hopefully there's not going to be any sort of trouble, but we'll we'll continue to talk about that, including the wisdom of the trip and some of the larger issues presented by the things that have developed in Kenosha over the course of the last 10 days. But a few things before that, starting with a new report that is out today by the Badger Institute. And I think I, th- I I start the program with this because I think it's it's important to offer some perspective. Over the course of the last several months, we have seen protests nationwide directed at what what is perceived to be police brutality against members of the minority community. And, and you've seen whether it was in Minneapolis or in Kenosha or in, in other places. And a, a, again, these are examples. I mean, you look at the incident in Minneapolis, and now you have multiple police officers charged with that. And I think it's impossible to defend the police conduct. A lot of questions have been raised about the the shooting in, in Kenosha a, a week or so ago. But you, you look at this, and you look at the protests, and you get the impression, perhaps, that every citizen police interaction results in complaints or violence or or things of of the like and you have these like broad demands to all right we've got to defund the police department or all cops are bad or all cops are evil and and we've got to get rid of these cops and a lot of times those attitudes fueled by again i understand some people legitimately unhappy and upset with this and a number of people i think raise legitimate issues with regard to police community relations but at the same time i think there's a lot of context which is lacking and there's a new study out by the badger institute and i've got a link to it if you follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 just came out today police use of force how common is it and then it's it's headlined to call for greater transparency and and what they did is they looked at use of force incidents in Green Bay, Madison, and Milwaukee. I guess I think the three largest police departments, because in in those different police departments, every time there is force that is used, there has to be a report. So the question became, and I think it's a fair one, all right, in the universe of police-citizen interactions, how many times is force used? And because, again, you you would think from some of the protests, it would be like something that's happening on just a, a constant basis. Now, use of force isn't just pulling out a taser or pulling out a gun. Use of force includes any time there's like a, a physical 
confrontation. And it includes, for example, if a defendant or if a, somebody who's being arrested attacks a police officer and the police officer, you know, has to, you know, use, has to get physical in some way, shape or form to restrain him. So it's not just pulling a gun or a taser or pulling a baton and, and striking somebody. It's anytime you have to, you, it includes like a scuffle with somebody who struggles when they try to put the handcuffs on them. All right. So they, they looked at the numbers and what they found 2018 is the in Milwaukee. It's the last complete year that they have data from. So they looked at 2018 and what they found is that in 2018, Milwaukee police made a total of 18,300 arrests for felonies misdemeanors and ordinance violations all right so that's the universe so how many of those resulted in use of force and get this what they found was that of all the arrests only one out of every 30 arrests involved some use of force so 29 out of 30 times no use of force at all as the person was being arrested. Now, that's looking at arrests. If you want to consider the fact that the vast majority of police-citizen interactions doesn't result in an arrest. It's, hey, you, you, you get a complaint about a noise violation. So somebody shows up, the police officer shows up and say, hey, the neighbor's complaining, can you turn down the stereo? Okay, that so that isn't even included in the the overall numbers. So actually, if you want to look at at police citizen encounters, it's not really one of 30 situations. It's probably one of 100 situations that ends up using force, maybe even much more than that. So the bottom line is force of any kind in Milwaukee in 2018 was not a common thing. All right, in Madison, pretty much the same sort of situation. Again, when they look at the arrests in Madison, um, 8,330 arrests in 2019, Madison officers used force against 290 individuals. And again, that translates into about one out of every 30 arrests. You had the use of force. And again, that's not pulling a gun, it's not pulling a taser, but it's where there, there had to be some use of force. In Madison, in 2019, the typical use of force incident involved police who had received a call for a disturbance on the uh, north or central part of Madison, and typically it involved somebody who was likely under the influence of alcohol or, or on drugs. So that this, I bring this up, and the same thing is pretty much true in Green Bay, if you look at it. I bring this up because, again, it is important to offer perspective, at least in my opinion, on all this. Because for people who watch the protests and look at the media coverage, you would get the thought that every time a police officer interacts with somebody in the community, it, it's... It's something that ends in a bad way or where the police have to use force or we have tasers pulled or you have guns drawn or things like that. And the truth is, if you look at the raw numbers, it's not that way at all. As a matter of fact, having to use any force at all while making an arrest, it, it's it's a rarity. It's a rarity in Green Bay. It's a rarity in Madison. It is a rarity in Milwaukee, which, again, I, I think – there needs to be a degree of transparency. That message needs to get out. 
Um, looking at this another way, in Milwaukee, what they found was that well over two-thirds of the 1,900 sworn police officers in Milwaukee never use any force at all over the course of of a given year. And if you look at it, um, only over 86% either never used force or had to use force only only once. And in 95% of the cases with force, there was no injury or no more than a minor injury. And again, I bring all this up because you get the idea that police-citizen interactions, you got, you would certainly, I think if you listen to some of the stuff that's out there in the media, you'd get the idea that the police are putting people in the hospitals all the time, and that's not true. Now, that's not down, to downplay the fact that you have high-profile incidents which generate a ton of attention. And, and I understand. I, look, I get why there is all the angst and there's the uproar over the Jacob Blake shooting. I, I understand that. But we lose context by failing to realize that that is an aberration, that that's not what happens day in, day out. There's not deadly force that's used. There's not even any force that is used. And again, I think it's important to have context because if we're trying to judge the overall job that cops are doing and how are cops relating to the community, if all you do is you see, okay, well, here's an incident where we, we had a police shooting. And, and again, let, you know, let, let the, the court system play out. And I, I think, you know, ultimately we're going to get to the bottom of that. And, and my guess is, I'm not sure everybody's going to be satisfied by the results, for example, but but the system is going to play out. The matter is under investigation. But what people need to recognize, again, is that this is a, an aberration. Most of the contacts, the overwhelming majority of the contacts that police have do not result in use of force. The overwhelming majority of arrests do not result in use of force. So to try to just assume that, oh, my gosh, all these police departments are racist and they're bad and they're, they're out there just violating people's civil rights and putting people in the hospital, at least in Wisconsin, the numbers say that's not the case. And if you want to see the study, again, it's out today. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to it. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, a couple of people are saying, oh, well, what's the racial makeup of, of the use of force? Like I say, the objectively, for, for everybody who thinks that the police are out there routinely beating people and breaking people's arms to make arrests or tasing people, that, that's just not the reality. Like I say, you know, 29 out of 30 arrests are made with no use of force at, at all on average. Um, so people are saying, okay, well, what about the, the racial breakdown of this? Well, according to the report, the, the typical use of force incident in Milwaukee in 2018 involved a 35-year-old white male officer with eight years of service who used bodily force only. And, and that could be defensive, but it could be, uh, again, you know, you, you get physical, but not necessarily, that doesn't include tasing or pulling out a gun, on a 28-year-old black male who sustained minor injuries. According to police, the subjects are typically not armed with a weapon, but resist arrest during an altercation outside at night. In 2019, the typical use of force incident in Madison stemmed from an officer responding to a call for service 
for a disturbance in the north or central part of Madison. It likely involved a white male officer using some kind of bodily force on an African-American subject who was likely under the influence of alcohol and or drugs. Um, Most police officers don't have any use of force instances at all. Or what was the number? Um, 86% in Milwaukee in 2018. 86%. So almost nine out of every 10 police officers either didn't use force at all in that year or had to use it only once. There are a handful of police officers who used force on multiple occasions. And I think perhaps Maybe it's fair to focus on on that handful of officers and see, you know, what what's going on there. Why are they using force more often? Most typically, I think it's explained by some of the areas where they're policing and, you know, more more calls where they're coming into contact with people who are likely to resist arrest. But, you know, I think that that's a fair indicator if, you know, you have nine out of 10 members of the force who don't use force either at all or only one time in a year, and you have a handful of police officers that have to use it five or eight times or, or whatever, I think it is fair to kind of say, okay, well, what what's going on? Is it because of the nature of the, the calls that that officer is going on, or is it because maybe the officer, you know, is not does not have the temperament to deal with some of those calls. And and that's a fair sort of thing, and that's something I think you can use the data. But the overall point is, and you would not get this sense necessarily from the mainstream media and the coverage that's out there, the overall hard numbers say that in major cities in Wisconsin, most police-citizen interactions most police most police citizen arrests most of them are accomplished with no problems at all and no use of force at all and i offer that only to give some perspective on everybody out there who are sitting there suggesting oh this is just terrible um this is going to be terrible the police are out there and, and the police are there violating people's rights on a regular basis it doesn't happen in reality back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner on wgmj Hey, there's something special about hometown teams. They're rooted in our backyard. They give you hope, passion, excitement, and make an impact on your local community. That's why News Radio 620 WTMJ is teaming up with Associated Bank to help local businesses grow and succeed by giving one deserving business, this is very cool, an advertising campaign valued at $50,000. Businesses can enter at rebuildingwibusiness.com rebuildingwibusiness.com by September 27th. Supporting our communities is a meaningful tradition. Associated Bank and News Radio 620 WTMJ, they want to be on your team. Enter to win and find all the official contest rules at rebuildingwibusiness.com. That's rebuildingwibusiness.com. Member FDIC. President Trump has uh, just arrived, landed in Waukegan. He was accompanied by the Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr, and by uh, the congressman from the area, Brian Stile. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson was at the airport to meet him. Uh, The governor was not there, but uh, Ron Johnson was. Uh, There wasn't a huge entourage or anything like that. Now everybody's jumping into the the various vehicles, presumably to, again, head up to the Kenosha area. Eric Bilstedt, so what's what's on the agenda for this visit? So this will be very quick. They will take the motorcade to Kenosha. They'll spend just a few minutes 
to get there. They will tour some damage from some of the buildings. I imagine he'll probably meet with a business owner or two during that time. Then he will go see some law enforcement officials. They're going to be at an operations center to discuss some items there. They will also attend a roundtable at Bradford High School on Wisconsin safety. And then he's back on the plane. I mean, it wheels up. I I believe it's scheduled for 3 o'clock. So this is a whirlwind type of visit for a president. Two and, a half. and, of course, he, he didn't land in Kenosha. No. They, they flew into Waukegan, so you're going to have, what, yeah, about yeah. 20 minutes yep, or so probably to, to, yeah. to uh, end up getting into the area. Um, is is there media availability for the roundtable? Do we know there, that well, Yes, there will be. There's a pool for this type of thing, so you will hear from him. He will give some remarks. I imagine there will be some photo opportunities as well when he first gets there as well. And there is a large contingent of supporters and protesters and those are, who are critics also in Kenosha. I mean, there are a lot of microphones, there are a lot of cameras, and there are a lot of people in Kenosha today. Right, and there were, I know Jesse Jackson was back. They had yes. a, they had an appear, but he appeared earlier today. Mm-hmm. So he yeah, was he's part still of on that. the ground there now, but right. yes, he appeared. He spoke uh, to reporters. Uh, Congresswoman Gwendolyn Moore is there, as well as some uh, Jacob Blake family members right. also. So yeah, I was watching the accounts earlier. There looked like there were going to be three separate organized protests, mm-hmm. and then you had the president's supporters who had been there since about 10 o'clock in, in the morning, and... Uh, Hopefully, cooler heads will prevail during this entire thing. But in any event, we'll continue to keep you updated on the coverage. The president is now on the ground in the motorcade, um, leaving the airport in Waukegan, heading up to Kenosha. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff related to the president's visit and a lot of other things as well. So stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The Wisconsin Sports Awards is an event that honors and celebrates excellence in Wisconsin athletes and teams at all levels of competition from high school to pros. And this year, the awards are up to you, the fans. Visit WisconsinSportsAwards.com to see the nominees and to cast your vote. Also, by voting, you could win tickets to next year's in-person event. Go to WisconsinSportsAwards.com and vote today. All right. Today is the... 1st of September, and it is also the traditional opening of schools. I know some schools open a little bit earlier, but today is the traditional opening of schools. This is nothing, there's nothing traditional, though, about this year. Some schools are opening with in-person instruction. Other schools are opening with kind of a um, half-and-half model. I know the the school system that my nephew is in, it's like two days on one week and then three days off, and then the next week it's three days on and two days off. So it's a mix of in-person and then virtual instruction. There are other school systems, like the Milwaukee Public School System, which is all virtual. Their decision to reopen on reopening was not to reopen, at least at this point in, in time. And and that's how it's played out across the area. In Kenosha, for example, speaking of Kenosha, the school board was going to allow in-person instruction. Then they reversed themselves to say, no, it's all going to be virtual. And then in the wake of a firestorm by the parents, they reversed themselves again and said, okay, no, we're we're, we're not going to go virtual. We're going to have in-person instruction for parents who want it. Virtual for most students is always an option, but most parents want the kids to go back. And now in Kenosha, after the school boards decided we're going to let kids come back for in-person instruction, now you have teachers 
who are protesting that, who, who don't think that it's safe to go back into schools. New York City had planned to begin in-person instruction today. They have, in the wake of threatened strikes from the teachers, they've now said, okay, well, we're, we're, we're going to delay the school reopening for a week. So you have just completely, totally different opinions on this. I think most people would agree that in-person instruction is superior to the, the quote-unquote virtual learning. I think most people would agree with that. Some people might, but, but the truth of the matter is, I think if you look at what happened last spring, for most students, the, the virtual learning was pretty much of a disaster. And for some some students, particularly like special needs students, it was a complete and total dumpster fire just because it just doesn't work for those type of kids. On the other hand, you have some parents and some teachers, not all, who just believe that it is not safe to go back to schools. The idea being, hey, we, we still have we still have covid that is out there. There is a, a potential that some kids are, are going to get sick. And then that they're going to bring it home and that their parents or the grandparents, if they live at home, they, they might get sick. So the concern is that there is going to be the, this spread, which brings us to the question of, if not now, when? If we accept the premise that that we're going to have to figure out how to live with coronavirus for the foreseeable future, at least until a vaccine becomes available, which probably best case scenario isn't going to be to the early part of next year. And before you get enough doses that can be administered across the board and particularly administered to the vulnerable populations who come first, you you could easily be looking at another year before you have a widespread vaccination program. So that raises the question of if, if we don't reopen the schools to in-person learning now when when do we do it do we wait until there there is a vaccine you know and if that's the case can you have schools closed essentially for a year or two to in-person instruction let's open up the phone lines our number 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line i think it is important to get kids back in school absolutely as soon as possible. And I guess I look at this and say, if there is a school system, let's take the city of Milwaukee, where you have, because Milwaukee has traditionally been an epicenter of COVID-19, and because many of the kids to get to school have to depend on public transportation and things like that, I understand why Milwaukee might be a unique situation, why they have to go virtual, even though that is a poor alternative. But for most kids in most parts of the state, candidly, I I think they should be back in class. And I think they should be back. The sooner you can get them back five days a week, the better it is going to be, recognizing that inevitably there will be some kids that, that, that get sick. That that's just the nature of of this. Just like there's kids that get the flu every year. And by the way, I understand that COVID nineteen is not the flu. But you know, can we go? Can we go another semester? Can we go another year? Can we go two years without in person instruction? And if not now, when? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it unreasonably risky? 
for school districts to allow kids back into school this week? My answer would be, as a general rule, no, you've got to try it. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jeff, my third grader is at gold of my ear. And while I, I am beyond impressed with the amount of work his teachers have been putting into this year so far, they and he want to be in school. They cannot do this forever. He is learning but it just isn't the same. Jeff, my kids all go back on different days in, in New London, and three are on EPs. They need to go back. There is no end game for the people who end up in, uh, opposing this. Uh, Jeff, in Oshkosh, we're supposed to be half and half. We got a call and an email yesterday at 4.15 p.m. The Oshkosh North High School and Merrill Middle School only are now online indefinitely due to a teacher shortage. The rest of the city not affected. Uh, Jeff, in person, five days a week. Notice something. The big powerful unions at MPS and New York City are keeping them closed. I think it's all politics. Um, it should be about the kids. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Debbie in Brookfield. Debbie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I actually work in uh, daycare, and uh, we've been back working with the kids since the end of May. And a lot of the kids that we have that are going into kindergarten, and, you know, a lot of them up to the age of 12, have been back in daycare since the beginning of summer and you know they're wearing masks and they've been playing with their friends all summer and you know a lot of these kids now are going to virtual school and it's kind of hard to explain to them why they can't go back to their classrooms and play with their friends and their regular schools you know yeah debbie let me let me just stop you for a second Well, well right tell me how how did the daycare work? I mean, did you did you have outbreaks of coronavirus? Were kids getting sick? Were you and some of your colleagues getting sick? How, how did it work out? Nope. We have been open since, I think, the end of May, and none of us have been sick. None of the adults have been sick. None of the kids have been sick. Um, you know, with we've been washing all of their nap stuff. You know, all their nap blankets and sheets get washed every day. Um, you know, we do our regular cleaning, sanitizing, you know, everything gets cleaned every day. All the toys get sanitized every day. Um, just like we were doing before Corona and things. Um, basically, you know, all the teachers, all the adults are wearing masks and all the kids three and up are wearing masks. Um, you know, the parents don't come any farther than the entrance of the building, you know, and they're taking the, you know, the, um, director and the assistant director take the kids in and out every day but nobody's gotten sick we haven't had any corona scares or anything so So you've been able to make it work Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Good enough. No, thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my favorite text of the day so far. Wagner, you're just pushing Trump's agenda to open schools. Your opinions aren't based on the realities. Hmm. Well, I, I don't know what those realities would be. And again, the bigger issue here is, is what, for, for people who think that all the schools need to be closed, what Tell me what the end game is if we understand and accept the premise that that COVID-19 is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. 
and, and whether that's six months or a year or two years, if we accept that, that the virus is going to be around, what, what, tell me what the end game is. Do, do we do virtual learning for the, the next couple years? And, and if so, how do you make that work? Because candidly, maybe for some kids it's okay, but I think most parents would tell you it has not worked out. Most teachers would tell you it has not worked out. It's not a substitute for in-person, in-classroom stuff. Robert in Bayside. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Thanks. Uh, interesting topic. Uh, real time, uh, yesterday I got a call. My daughter's a teacher in northern Wisconsin. Uh, small school district, I'm not going to name it. Mm-hmm. Um, four teachers, uh, today's their first day, and she got a robocall that four teachers are positive. Uh, and maybe I should correct, not four teachers, four, four teachers that he, that are positive, uh, not revealing names. Um, and that's that's day one. So she is okay. Well, let me stop you there, though. Safety. But let me stop you right. Though, if they te- if if today or yesterday was day one, and they tested positive, obviously they they had it. They they didn't get it yesterday. They they had it beforehand, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Okay, yeah, okay. Sure. So it was it wasn't yep. in the schools. It was so the the teachers were somehow exposed, whether they were out and about or or whatever. So it, it's not the school that caused it. It was something else that caused it. Possibly, yeah, un, un, unknown. But yeah. but basically, I guess that what what her feelings are, and you know, she's there working. But her feelings are she's scared. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what about me? Of course, everyone's sure. concerned. It'd be, uh, it's a concern, and I guess she'll know more as this plays out. But at a certain point, I think, you know, they're going to have to look in the mirror and say, is this, should we continue? Uh, right. So I don't know. Good enough. I think, and it's interesting you brought that up. And the reason I stopped you there was because um, on two separate occasions in, in the last two weeks, I have been at, 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 Events and, and we're not talking about hundreds and hundreds of people, but I'm in events, and and I've I, I've had an, in, an occasion to talk to some people who are, are teachers, and, and this this issue has come up, and you know, and, and people I get it, they're expressing a concern about going back to work, but yet they. They, they, the, the teachers were out in public. I mean, it, I, I bring this up because it, it's not like. That the teachers have been sheltering in place. I mean, people have been going out and they've been going out to restaurants. And I am maybe there's some teachers that again have just been hunkering at home. But but my guess is probably not. My guess is during the course of the summer, most of us have been going out. We've tried to maintain social distancing and we've been wearing the masks and all those types of things. But we're, we're going out. We're not living like like hermits. So the the question becomes. And Robert's point kind of came in. If, if first day of school, you've got a couple teachers that are testing positive, that tells me that they didn't get it at school. That tells me that they were out and about interacting, and now they're positive. Now, again, that's the thing. You don't want them spreading that, and, and that's why for those teachers, they have to quarantine. And, and maybe the reality of this is going to be, like I say, you try it, and you're not going to be able to make it work because maybe you lose teachers, maybe you lose the kids, etc. But at the same time, we have figured out ways to keep all sorts of other businesses open as a general rule. You know, we figured out a way to keep the grocery stores open since March. We figured out 
you know, a, a way to keep the hardware stores and the big box retailers open, you know, since March. And in many cases, those employees, well, they, they've had interactions with a much broader, you know, group and, and cross section of, of people. So we're in the process of of opening up again, o- opening up the, the world. And I think you have to do that. Now, I'm not arguing that you don't do it in a smart way. I think, you know, maybe for some of these school districts that, um, that the reason they're doing the two days on, three days off is because they want to reduce the class size. I appreciate that there's issues, you know, how are you going to get third graders to keep masks on their face all day? I, I understand that there there's issues that you end up having to work through. But if we accept, again, the premise that... It's the premise that in-person instruction is far superior to non-in-person instruction and that virtual learning is kind of an oxymoron for for many kids. You've got to get people back into the classes and you've you've got to figure out how to do this. And if you bring kids back and, okay, there's a sudden outbreak and you've got to close down the school for a week, then you close down the school for a week. But it doesn't mean you abandon the idea because I don't think it is acceptable to simply say, all right, we're not going to send kids back to school for the, the course of the next year or two or however long it takes until the quote-unquote pandemic ends because I don't see the pandemic ending anytime soon. We're getting on with life, and schools are an important part of, of life. You just, again, have to do it smart. But I, I love our first caller who said, hey, she works at this daycare thing. The, the kids were coming into the daycare, and the daycares have been open since last spring, and now the schools are saying you can't come into the schools, and the kids aren't understanding. Well, we, we've been we've been doing all this, and the daycares were able to make it work. Why can't the schools make it work? So, again, I, I go back to the basic premise. I think these schools need to get open sooner rather than later. And this is Jeff Wagner. Here's a text. Jeff, this is the exact argument we went through at the Catholic grade school that I'm associated with. What would be different in October, if not now, when? We are opening five days a week in person with the option to go virtual. And, and that's, I think, an important point. For for most of the schools that are open, they include that virtual option. So there may be that situation where, let, let's say it's a multi-generational family, and, and you've got the, the kids, and you're living with mom and dad, and you're living with grandma and grandpa, and they're in the high-risk category, or mom or dad is in the high-risk category, or whatever. In that situation, you, you've always got the option to go to go virtual. So if it's a situation where, gee, I'm afraid that, you know, the, the fifth grader is going to get it, get sick, bring it home, and then other people are going to get sick, well, you, you have that option to say, no, it, because of our unique situation here, because we're particularly vulnerable, we, we want to do the virtual thing. Now, if, if you go that route, I hope then, over the course of the, this summer, those kids, those same kids, the fifth grader, sixth grader, high school kid or whatever, I hope that you haven't allowed them to go out to pools or you haven't allowed them to go out to playgrounds or you haven't allowed them to go to parties and you haven't had a, given them an opportunity to interact with other people because if if you're letting kids go to pools and parties and interact with other kids, 
because you're not worried that they might get sick there, I think there's probably less of a chance that they're going to get sick when they go to school and you've got the requirements that people wear masks and you're going to have, again, the desks spread out. A couple people are texting me saying, you try sitting in an elementary school where everybody's right on top of each other a couple inches away. Well, I don't think that's going to be the dynamic when they bring the different schools back, which is why some of those people are there. Here's a text. Jeff, you're behind a microphone telling others to risk their health. Okay, well, again, people have been working through this pandemic since March. And, you know, the reality of the matter is lots of people are going back. People are getting back to normal. And if you're not going to open up the schools now, are you just going to commit to closing them for six months or a year or two years? Are you going to commit to that? Is that really necessary? Is that wise? And if you think so, fine. But um, I don't think that's going to work for kids and their learning. All right. When we come back, let's talk about these militias that are showing up at some of the riots. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstead, here's my favorite text of the day so far. Okay. Aside the, the one earlier on, was, Wagner, you're just a stooge for whatever. But, okay, this is, hey, Jeff, do you have any thoughts on running for governor in two years? Please say yes. My, my note my note, yeah, my note was I don't think that would go over very well with my wife I, that, that doesn't like kind of start that off at the, uh-uh. yeah, kind of start that can you can you imagine after doing a radio program in this market full or part-time for 25 years can can you imagine the opposition research you know you, I mean there just be people sitting there trying to like look at back okay you know three hours a day 25 years you yeah, put his foot in his mouth at one point oh, well probably you know on, on a given day it's <laughs> like okay what are you going to find there so no i appreciate the, i appreciate the thought but i like what i do quite a bit there mm-hmm. um and we'll and, and you'll you're gonna you're monitoring what's going yes. on in kenosha we'll continue to keep people updated like i say during, as you were mentioning uh during your newscast the president's motorcade stopped in front of this building that had just been completely destroyed by fire and i, I don't know about you eric i i have and i sent this out on, on a tweet the other day i i did not realize in all honesty till i saw the pictures how much devastation there was yeah. in in Kenosha. I mean, the, the Kenosha News had these aerial photographs of of this, and, and you hear, oh, this building is burned, or this business has been destroyed, gone. But I mean, right? I mean, it th- th- it really did look like a city in World War II after bombs fell. I mean, it was just thirty businesses gone, and it's it, it's funny that the New York Times described what happened as. A heated street protest, and I, I mean, I remember saying, "What the hell does that? I don't even know what that means." A heated street protest. You you have you, the, burning down a you know thirty businesses and mm-hmm. stuff, and and um, thankfully, thankfully, it appears that even though there's supporters of the president, even though there's you know protesters and stuff, everything appears calm at this and, point in time. Yes, and there have been some tense moments today, but also remember, there are a million cameras there, there are a million right. people with their phones and reporters, so of course the person who supports the president and the person who doesn't support the president want to yell at each other and be seen on TV. Just keep that in mind. Well, right, exactly. I mean, there is a lot of emotions taking place here, I'm not discounting that, but right. some of this is... I don't want to call it theater, but it's well, it right. gets intensified because so many cameras right. are there. Right, and and again, this isn't 
this isn't a criticism of 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 our, our colleagues in, in broadcast television, but but you're looking for that. That that's right. the, oh sure, yeah. If if you find that that confrontation, if there's a thousand people and nine hundred ninety five are getting along fine, and you find the two Trump supporters that want to scream at the the two whatever the Black Lives Matters mm-hmm. people whatever, and and that that's going to be what what leads on the thing. Yes. So again, it's it's and. It's just the nature of the business. But so far, um, everything calm, and hopefully that will continue. Okay, I want to follow up on something we we talked about during one of the segments of the program yesterday. And we were – I was discussing in in general terms the the shooting – that that happened by by that Kyle Rittenhouse, the seventeen year old, who on the third night of the riots, and that's what they were. They weren't heated stroke street protests. They were they were riots. You know, he went to Kenosha and together with a number of people, he armed himself. and And we all know the aftermath of that. You know, two people dead, and you know, one person seriously injured. And there, there's this huge discussion that's going on. His Attorney's been very, very aggressive, saying, "No, this was an exercise in self-defense." And you look at the videos, and he was being attacked by people, etc. I, I don't want to talk about the specifics of that case right now. We we will at, at some point in time as more facts emerge about this. But but I want to talk about what we are now seeing, which is as a response to. Some of the aspects of the protests, which get out of control, and, and that's that's happened. I mean, Portland, the president was talking about Portland. The, the president is absolutely right. Portland is just a hot mess and has been for a 100-plus days. Civilian authorities have not been able to get control of things. Um, in Madison, for, you know, on a couple different occasions over the last couple months, civilian authorities, for whatever reason, weren't able to get control of stuff, so you had devastation. And for the first couple nights in Kenosha, civilian authorities were not able to get control of, of the riots. And you had legitimate protest, and then you had that, that other avenue. You had the people that were there to burn and to loot and to destroy. And in response to the civilian authorities not being able to control the matter, what you had is that you had groups of citizens, private militias, who decided to take matters in their own hand and swoop into the, the communities and position themselves with their, you know, rifles in, in front of businesses to quote unquote protect them. Now these weren't their businesses necessarily. These were just you know, businesses, so that, you know, we're, we're here, we're not going to allow this to happen. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I'm going to go where angels fear to tread on this matter. I'm, I'm a law and order guy. I think the it has been appalling that you have had essentially rioters who have been allowed to, to riot in, in American cities. And, and that that they haven't been stopped, that there haven't been widespread arrests, that the attitude, at least for a couple nights in Madison and to an extent in Kenosha, was kind of like, okay, there's more of them than there are of us. We're we're just gonna we're we're just gonna kind of stand back. We're going to let this go. I mean, I think the response should have been, all right, we're we're going to start arresting people. You know, we see somebody with a Molotov cocktail getting ready to throw it. Boom, we're we're going to arrest them. And, and we're going to get them off the streets. We can't allow people to destroy stuff. So I, I think, you know, that's been a failing. Having said that, though, I do not think 
that we can have private citizens deciding that they are going to deputize themselves and making the decision that they are going to go into these areas armed to the teeth with the idea of doing what they think law enforcement should be doing, but it's not. I think it's a recipe for disaster. It is a recipe for, okay, the, the, the shootings that happened in Kenosha a week ago today. It's a recipe for the, the guy that got shot in Portland the other night where you had the, the armed people who were showing up to protest the protesters, and apparently one of the protest people ended up shooting the guy. It's just you've got to allow civilian authorities to do their thing. And, I mean, look, it's one thing, okay, if you're in your house, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you have a bunch of protesters that break in. Okay, that's it. But it's completely different when you have these citizen militias, at least in my opinion, who, who show up. That's that is throwing fuel on a fire. And I, 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 I you know, I guess I, I mean, I don't mean to understate that, but you, you've got to demand that civilian authorities bring these things under control. That's why you have the National Guard. That's why you have the police departments. And if civilian elected officials, the mayor, the county executive, the governor, whatever, if they're failing to get things under control, well, what you do is is you toss them out. You know, you hold them accountable because they're the ones that are responsible for providing safety. But I don't think we can have the rise of these militias that decide that they are going to step in and take the place of the police. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Chris in New Berlin. Chris, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? There's got to be a middle ground somewhere. You talk about no police protection because they can't handle the situation volume versus protecting your home. If I'm a business owner and I've actually grown my business over years, I can stand out front and say, please leave me alone. It's not going to stop anyone. If I actually have a firearm, I could easily get overrun by the mobs down there just looking to burn stuff. I don't believe malicious and simply insert themselves. But sometimes a business owner might call and say, hey, by the way, I could use the help. If you guys are willing to stand guard with me, I need that middle ground. Otherwise, I'm just ceding my business to the rioters. Yeah, well, I guess, but it isn't a better option to, to call the, the police department or your your congressman or the, the local you know supervisor and say, this is unacceptable. I, I'm not going to allow my business to burn down. Isn't that a better option? And then expect them to follow through. Isn't that a better option than a, a couple armed yahoos showing up and you know positioning themselves outside your, your place of employment? Because who knows what can happen then? That's a great starting point, Jeff, but in the Seattle and the CHOP zone, we know the police can all respond to certain amounts, yep. and it's always after the fact. Yep. No, no, thank you, Chris. And, and, and by then your business already burned down. Well, no, Chris, and, and look, and I, I understand, that is that is the frustration that, that people have, and believe me, I share that frustration. I'm a law and order guy. I think it is absolutely unacceptable that we, that, that we allowed the rioting to go on in Madison, that you allowed the stuff to go on in Kenosha, that you've allowed Portland to essentially be held hostage to, you know, violent 
protests, not legitimate protests, but violent protests by people who are intent on anarchy. And, you know, the same thing to your point, Chris, about, about Seattle. So I, I, that to me is a complete and total failure of civilian law enforcement. And I understand it gives rise, it gives rise to the malicious. I, I understand that the frustration, hey, you know, it's, it's my, it's my business. I've worked, you know, for my entire life to build this up and, and I don't want it looted and I don't want it burned and I don't want it to, destroyed. You know, I, I get that frustration that's there and, and that's why I, I think law enforcement and by law enforcement, I'm talking about like the local police departments, the county sheriffs, and I'm talking about the National Guard. And I'm, I'm starting with, you know, the, the governor of this state or any state have an obligation. And I think in some respects in Wisconsin that they failed miserably to make sure stuff is going to come under, is going to stay under control. Part of it is political. I think, for example, you have some of the top leadership in Wisconsin who's decided that they, they want to. They, they want to side with the protests, and they don't want to recognize that aspects of the protests have gone too far. So it's the, the dialogue as well. We want to ensure people have the right to legitimate First Amendment protest. Sure, but throwing frozen water bottles at National Guard officers, which is what's been happening, and it's what happened for the first couple nights in Kenosha, throwing frozen water bottles and bricks at police officers, throwing fireworks and hitting police officers in the face with that, that that's not legitimate protest. It shouldn't be tolerated. People should be arrested. And unfortunately, you know, we have elected officials who haven't been willing to condemn that aggressively and committing to putting a stop to it. And as a result, you, you know, you, you see, you know, what's been going on. Jeff, what's going to happen when both the militia and the protesters start bringing guns to events? The bullets will start to fly and it will be very difficult to establish accountability. Um, yeah, I mean, that's 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 the problem. Now, Jeff, here's a text. Jeff, if the police can't protect businesses, it's up to the people to protect our businesses. And yes, we can vote out elected officials. But are we supposed to do in the meantime? And and. I get that sentiment. I hear that sentiment a lot. That's why this this has to be a call like that. That red siren has to be going off to officials, starting with the governor and then running through like the different levels that that you, you can't. People are sick and tired of this. It's not about the social justice protests. It's not about legitimate protest. But it is about whatever that percentage of people that are there not to engage in legitimate protest, but decide that they want to destroy stuff. You've got to get control of that because people are scared. People are angry. And so people are turning again to let's let's have the citizen militia, quote unquote, come in and step in in the place of law enforcement because we don't think law enforcement can do the job. You cannot allow that to to happen. And I mean that by law enforcement and civilian authorities can't allow that to happen. You have to. Again, take these protests seriously. You have to arrest the people that are throwing the bricks. You have to arrest the people that are throwing the frozen water bottles. You have to, because otherwise, you know, you do get the the vigilantism that that comes up. And I know some people don't like that word, but I'm sorry, walking through the the streets in the middle of one of these things, carrying, you know, an AR-15, nothing good is going to happen. Nothing good is going to happen. And whether you can make a claim of self-defense or not, bottom line is 
people are going to get hurt. And, and we've got to stop that. And that's where the civilian authorities come in. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text, Jeff. Kenosha resident here. For two days, fires burned. Armed protesters were able to roam downtown. Not a word in the media coverage about all the protesters who were carrying guns that were emerging as time went by. The fear, and, and th- there is a point to that. The, the one of the things, like I say, the, the New York Times described the, the riots that went on in Kenosha as a heated street protest. I mean, really, a heated street protest, and, and it, that, that is fear. The mainstream media in this country is so afraid of getting on the wrong side of the legitimate protest movement that, that it, it's afraid to, again, call out the segments of, of that, that protest movement, that subset that's engaging in, again, the rioting, the carrying guns, stuff like that. Anyhow, not a word about all the protesters' guns that were emerging as time went by. The fear was palpable here. Listening to the police scanner, the police were overwhelmed and the protesters ruled where they went. No one wants to see a loss of life. But no one wants to live in that kind of fear either. And I understand that point, which is the reason why civilian authorities cannot let things get out of control. That needs to be one of the lessons of Kenosha moving forward. That, yes, there's always going to be view for there's always going to be room for legitimate protest. But that every time you have a situation where there is unrest or unhappiness or dissatisfaction caused with a a police citizen interaction you you can't allow people to burn down a quarter of a city and destroy business after business after business jeff wagner on wtmj So very glad to have you with us. All right. Yesterday, Milwaukee Bucks laid a egg, laid an egg in the first round of the Eastern Conference semifinals. It was just it was just a bad game. I, and I, I watched a I, I watched a, a good chunk of it. And um, I, I don't know what that per, it, you know, it's a seven game series. So, you know, you can afford to lose a game here or there. But unless their superstars figure out a way to make free throws for example it's going to be a long it's going to be a, a long series and a short time left in the bubble in Orlando but if you watch the basketball game on on television of course you know you listen and hear, hear Ted Davis's call here on, on WTMJ but you, you look at the back of the players' jerseys, and instead of their names, what it has, what they're they're all wearing is they're wearing you know different slogans and to, to call attention to uh, again social justice sort of issues. You've got stuff um, printed on the courts and things like that, and you've had the athletes, a number of athletes who have started to be very very aggressive with trying to, again, call attention to social justice issues. Story in the paper yesterday, we 
just need action, action, action. Headline, Milwaukee Bucks players say Wisconsin Republicans must seriously discuss police reform. Milwaukee Bucks players said it's, quote, unacceptable, end quote, for Wisconsin lawmakers to meet for a few seconds on Monday instead of debating legislation aimed at overhauling police practices and policies. It's just so unacceptable, Bucks Center Brooke Lopez told reporters Saturday. The policy we're talking about, it's so important. You know, police reform, criminal justice reform, there's such important steps to start with to keep that momentum going, end quote. Um, and then, you know, another story today about how, you know, what the, the Bucks and what the NBA in general is doing, how they're, you know, trying to affect change in the social justice area. And, of course, you had after, you know, the Bucks decided that they were going to not play in that, that one game last week. You had the NBA that canceled games for, you know, several days. And you had the spillover to Major League Baseball where games were canceled for a day or in some cases two days. And NFL practices were called off for a day, and now now things are pretty much back to normal. So anyways, that, that's the backdrop. You have professional athletes who are becoming more aggressive in calling out lawmakers and trying to use their platforms that they have as professional ball players to try to increase public awareness. Okay, so that's that's what's going on. And by and large, it's done with the blessing of the teams. Milwaukee Brewers, for example, the Milwaukee Bucks, 110% behind the actions of, of, of their players. Okay, that, that is all well and good. Now, the flip side of that is over the weekend, I was... I was I was in a after I played golf I was in a bar and just just for just for a little bit and I was listening to the conversation up up and down the the bar and th- this was one of the subjects of conversation and people that I were talking to what I was talking to or listening and in in general the attitude was this is not what we want from sports figures and Two people told me, this is just the honest-to-goodness truth, that they had, after Major League Baseball players had, had done what they did, they, they canceled various season ticket packages they had for, for next year. Said, we, 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 we've had it. You know, we turn to sports as a refuge. We, you know, and, and we appreciate, you know, that, that people have, you know, different issues on, different interests on these issues. But, you know, we, we, we don't want to be lectured by professional athletes about, you know, how we should feel about these issues. And when it starts spilling over into the games, that's when we say enough is enough. Now, that's what people say. And, and I guess I, I wonder, what people really feel for everybody that says, oh, I'm never going to watch or listen to this team or that team again because of, you know, their response. You know, three days later, will they be listening to the games? Will they be watching the games? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. These athletes, especially since they have the blessing of the NBA or Major League Baseball or the NFL and their teams, well, they, they certainly have, have every right to you know use the forum they have to express their, their interests. And as I've said before, this is peaceful protest. It's not like they're destroying anything. But I do wonder how it plays in in, in the general public. So when you hear NBA players or Major League Baseball players or whatever say, you know, we're, we, we think the legislature needs to do this or we're not going to play to call attention to this issue. 
What is is your reaction? Is your reaction? Oh, fine. That's my their opinion. Um, I'm I'll be glad to. I'm, I'm glad they're doing it. Or is it? Okay, that's it for me. That's not what I'm looking for for sports. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I kind of look at this, like I said, I, I think the, these protests, the boycotts, whatever, it's it's a non-destructive way to go about it. They have the blessing of the league. They have the blessings of the teams. That That's all well and good. But I wonder how that plays out with you, the ticket-buying, radio-listening, TV-watching general public. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. And, and again, I, I, I'm talking to people over the weekend, and, and do I listen and watch the Bucks games? Yeah, I, I, I do. Do I, I listen and watch the Brewers games? Yes. Will I watch the Packers games? Absolutely. It, it was interesting because I was getting all sorts of feedback from people who wanted to tell me they were completely turned off by, uh, again, the the more political social justice stances being taken by various athletes to the point that, that they said they, they weren't going to watch. I'm not watching basketball. I'm not watching baseball. I could care less. Now, I, I don't know if I believe that or not. All right, let's start with Scott in Greendale. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. You know what? So I kind of did a reverse on this. At first, I was vehemently opposed for all the reasons why we all are. But then I started to think to myself, it is the First Amendment, and I suppose they do have the right to use their status uh, to state what they want to state. I wish I did with my workplace, and I don't think we all do. That's a little frustrating. But I will say this. I've ended up at the same place, and that is being really frustrated, though. And probably I will still go to the sports games, but not be buying the jerseys. And the reasons why are, number one, I just I just feel like when you hear LeBron scream out, you know, another person shot in the back, you know, ten times when they weren't even holding a, a weapon. If you're going to use your platform and you're going to speak out, you better know the facts because you also run the risk of alienating your brand. And in the case of the Milwaukee Bucks, that's what they did with me. So I'm kind of arriving at the same place by still saying that they have that right to talk. Right. But I think they need to make sure they have the facts clear. Yeah, well, thanks. Well, they they clearly have have the right. And that's uh, and again, and especially since the the actions of the players have been embraced by the teams and embraced by the NBA or Major League Baseball, etc. So, I mean, clearly they they have the right to do it. I'm just I am curious because I'm getting a lot of feedback from from average citizens, ticket ticket buying. Radio listening, TV watching, sports fans who are just just don't want don't want the social justice message in with with their sports. Uh, David and Sherman Park says, Jeff, my wife is thrilled that I'm done with you know pro sports. Um, Jeff, um, I'm I'm listening across the lake. I'm an avid football fan, but after the league's decision to you know play whatever they're going to play ahead of the national anthem, I'm no longer going to be watching any football games. Hmm. Now people say that, and and I wonder if that's really the, the the case. Jeff, sports have become a joke. I'm losing interest. I donated all of my buck stuff to Goodwill, huh? Jeff, they have every right to speak their minds. People who think that they should just shut up and play ball, in my opinion, don't get what is happening and are completely out of touch. It's not politics. It's social justice. And I I see, and I don't think anybody, at least I would hope nobody is saying, just shut up and play ball. But it's... 
It's when you, you know, when that spills over to the the court, that's the that's the whole idea about that. And so, again, people are going to react to that in different ways. 855-616-1620. James in Milwaukee. James, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How you doing, Jeff? Good. What do you think? Well, I think if you could, you know, you've got to separate, like, politics and religion. I think the same thing is celebrate their job. Uh, separate their job and, and uh, also their, uh, you know, views and stuff like that. But I, f- I feel the other day when they dis- just did that for a little blip, you know, type of thing, that was nothing to me. If you really wanted to make a statement, if they all want to make a statement, just shut down the Dargan Sports and call, tell them to come out back next year. And that, that'll make a real statement because they'll show that the, you are having unity or whatever it is that you want to really have behind um, all the situations that are going on right now. Well, it, that is, I mean, thanks for calling. It was kind of interesting because I, I was, I, it, okay, so you you have the, the, it really wasn't a boycott. I mean, boycott, as I was saying last week, a boycott is where you say, I, I'm upset with my employer, don't don't buy the grapes. That that wasn't, that wasn't this. It was more like a, a strike. But, but interestingly enough, I mean, be. What ended up happening is they canceled games, but there were no consequences. I mean, people people got paid and all those types of things. Uh, here, here's an interesting text. Jeff, I suspect many of the fans who are frustrated with athletes who are vocal over social justice issues would be much more content if the athletes followed their own call to action and were perhaps re- to redirect their incredible salaries to, say, fund body cameras for police across the state. Yeah, that that is an interesting sort of thing. If, if you have people that are making millions and millions of dollars, you know, maybe you say, okay, we're going to take a game salary or two game salary and we think the Kenosha police they want body cameras so here's what we're going to do we're going to buy body cameras to outfit the police uh jeff i am done watching sports this year they have the right to speak their voice but maybe they ought to look behind them as their bodyguards walk with them most of those guys are retired law enforcement officials um yeah, eight five five six one six one six twenty. And again, I people are going to decide for themselves. Am I still watching and listening to the games? Yet, yes, I, I am. It's a weird sort of year, so I admit that my passion for sports isn't right now what it was because watching baseball games or listening to baseball games, it's kind of a, a habit, and this is kind of a weird season. I'm glad they're playing, but yeah, yes, yeah, so I, I watch perhaps with not as much intensity, but you know, there there is going to be a consequence, because I think there are a lot of people out there who are, I, I hope it's not the kind of shut up and dribble thing, but at the same time, it's like, you know, we, we turn to sports as, as recreation, and we don't necessarily want to be lectured by the players. Let's talk to Josh on the South Side. Josh, you're on WTMJ. Hey, uh, I'm the biggest Bucks fan there was. I was looking forward to a possible championship and the, and you now the replay, and I couldn't watch the last game. I, I don't. I can't imagine in my life I would never watch a Bucks playoff game. I, it's the protests are based, at least in my opinion, misinformation and a lot of hypocrisy by the players. So it just was the final straw. If someone says something that is based on misinformation and is adamant about it and forcing it down my throat, how can I cheer for them? It really, mm-hmm. it really bothers me. I might change my mind, but yeah, it was just really angry. Uh, well, so, and so that's I, I'm and see, and that's watch. right, and see, and that's that's the the risk you you run when you you immerse yourself in this because. 
you know, look, some stuff is black and white, and by that I mean it's 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 a clear it's clear one way or the other. A lot of stuff is is more nuanced. Let let let's talk about that that you know the Wauwatosa shooting that generated all the, this controversy. You know, there, there's some people who think it, it was absolutely appalling and an example of police misconduct. I think the investigations at the end of the day are going to show that it was a justified sort of thing. So when when you if you're if you're somebody and you weighed in on that issue, you you know that there's some people are going to be saying, well, fine, you're entitled to your opinion. Opinion, but you know your opinion isn't based on what we think reality is. Well, so. the, the black lives, well, the stuff they promote is really. I don't mean to be too controversial, but black on black crime is out of control. I and nothing said about that, so it really, it really angers me. Yeah, thanks. Well, I mean, again, and, and, well, at the same time, at the same time, yes, there, there's you, you've got all sorts of crime problems going on in, in urban areas. Now, clearly, these protests are 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 targeted at a, a specific thing, and this is the, the police, you know, misconduct that goes on, if not misconduct, the police shootings, etc. You know, when I started the program, and by the way, for people who weren't listening at noon, I, we did this on the segment. Let me call your attention. There's a new report out today that looks at, that looks at, Force used in arrests in large police departments in Milwaukee, in Milwaukee, Madison, and Green Bay, and you know it, it's it's a report that deserves more attention than it's probably going to get because if you listen to the media or you listen to some of the voices out there, you would get the impression that every time that the police end up making an arrest, it, it's it's violence and it's shooting and things like that. And the, the real numbers are it, it, it's just not that way. In Milwaukee, for example, you know, 86% of the police officers in any given year, at least in 2018, 86% of the police officers had didn't have to use force at all or a small percentage of cases one time. And, and, and by use of force, it might be even defending yourself when somebody tries to resist arrest. I, I just... Again, I don't dispute that people have the right to do it, and clearly the leagues have decided that, that this is the side of history that they want to be on, and, and they have the right to do it. I'm not arguing with that at all. I was kind of surprised that as many people as I was talking to, though, were having that kind of negative reaction, I'm not going to buy tickets, I'm not going to listen to the games. I, I don't know. Don't know if that's going to be the case or or not, but clearly professional sports Ah, things have changed a lot since Colin Kaepernick, you know, decided to, to take that knee. Now, you know, the owners, the leagues, they, they pretty much decided to align with that that point of view. We'll see if it ends up costing people in the long run. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. To understand the split on this, let, I'm going to we're just absolutely swamped with with text messages. Let me let me read you this just four quick ones that came in one after another. So these these are four consecutive uh, texts. Jeff, my wife is a Brewers fan, and no more. She took the bumper sticker off her car. She will no longer watch or listen to the games. And as far as a Packers fan, I'm done. Also, this is just going to continue to carry on. It should not be part of the game. Okay, so she these people are done. Jeff, I'm a 51-year-old black man. I bet if this was a stance for LGBT rights, it would be fine. I think it's really because it's all about black people. Um, Jeff, I could not be more proud of the Bucks and Brewers. These issues need to be addressed, and I applaud them for speaking out. For those who boycott, that's your right. But if you don't understand their actions, you may be part of the problem. And then finally, the players should just shut their mouth and play the game. Too bad. So sad. They are getting paid more money than any of us would ever imagine. If they care so much, they should donate every penny they earn to their cause. All right. 
four consecutive tech and it, it kind of goes on like that so uh, again th- this issue is not going to to go away and I, I am going to be curious see again I, I know people say I'm never gonna I'm never gonna listen to the Packers again I'm never gonna watch the Packers again but really I mean if you're a Packers fan are, are you seriously not going to tune in now I think you know short term maybe there's some people who decide we're you know I'm not going to spend the money on the jerseys as much so I mean, there might be some short term short term feedback long term I don't know if the bucks advance to the NBA championships are you really not going to listen to the games on the radio hmm All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. As we've been telling you, President Trump is in Kenosha. Right now, he's participating in what's being called a safety roundtable. He's joined by the Attorney General of the United States, Senator Ron Johnson's there, some law enforcement members. Let's just... Let's dip into the coverage, see what the president's saying. National Guard and want to hire radical judges and prosecutors who will release rioters, looters, and criminals. We have that in Portland where the prosecutors don't want to do anything. You can catch somebody doing the worst crime and they don't want to do anything. So we're very, very uh, upset about that. So we're not going to be cut police funding. If you look at what they want to do, they want to cut police funding. We want to increase police funding substantially. They want to end cash bail, which has been a killer for New York. If you look at what's happening in New York, they allowed thousands of people out of jail in New York, and they're walking around, and they're causing nothing but problems. Who would not know that? You don't have to know anything about policing. I'm not a policeman, but I would know that if you let these people out, many of them are going to cause tremendous problems. So they want to end cash bail, incentivize prison closures. They want to close the prison so that can't hold anybody. Reimagine public safety, end immigration enforcement, uh, resume catch and release at the border. Uh, as uh, Chad will tell you, we've had tremendous success on the border. We're up to over 300 miles of border wall, and we're having the best year we've ever had in the border. People are coming in, but they only come in legally, or they, for the most part, they only come in illegally. The wall will be finished very shortly. It's had a tremendous impact. So, and the other thing we want to appoint. Uh, Supreme Court justices and judges will be up to almost 300 judges by the end of the term and two Supreme Court justices. And uh, so we have a lot of things to do. We have a lot of great things to do. But it's an honor to be in your neighborhood. It's an honor to be in your great state, Wisconsin. And we're here for you all the way. Uh, Some people thought it would be a good thing for me to come, a bad thing. I just wanted to come. I really came today to thank law enforcement and to just really that what they what you've done has been incredible it's been really inspiring because you see it happening all over and it just never seems to end and it never seems to end because it's almost as though they don't want it to end because you ended it really fast and congressman i want to thank you for the job you did you were the first call and i want to thank you very much brian great really great job with that i'd like to introduce bill barr attorney general of the united states say a few words thank you. okay we'll check back in but that's the it's going on uh now president trump again conducting the safety roundtable all right let us switch gears i've been waiting all day to discuss this with you and and you may disagree with my position on this but i don't want the money And I hope my employer doesn't give me the money. Now, let me explain before station management says, what could Jeff possibly be talking about? And how can we save some dough? All right, here's the deal. President Trump 
as part of the the whole coronavirus economic package, one of the things that they are allowing employers to do is to stop withholding social security taxes for the rest of the year. All right, that is, as you might know, for if you, what happens with your paycheck is you have to pay 6.2%. Uh, that's what the Social Security taxes are. You pay Social Security tax um, up to, I think the limit is like $104,000 or, or whatever. After that, they stop taking them out. But 6.2%. It, it's withheld from your paycheck every two weeks or twice a month or or, or whatever. It, it's it's withheld. Okay? So that's that's the deal. Here's the problem with that. So what, in an effort to try to get more money into people's pockets... What the government has said is employers have the option to stop withholding that 6.2%. So that means that for the rest of the year, your, your checks are going to be a lot bigger. Well, you might say, Jeff, well, that, that there, there's more money in your paycheck. Why, why wouldn't you want your checks to be bigger? Well, it's because, at least the way it stands right now, it's not, yes, they are not going to withhold that money, so your checks are bigger, but but you're still going to owe the money. So it's not like they're not collecting the 6.2% tax. They're just withhold, not withholding it, so you get the money. You're still going to owe it. Now, they might say, okay, how are you going to get this back? Well, the temporary plan is that... Um, so what it is, it's a tax delay, not a tax elimination. And the plan is, starting next year, after the first of the year, they'll withhold double to make up for what you didn't get for the last four months. And if you switch jobs or something, well, you're still going to owe the money when you end up doing your taxes. It might not be withheld, but... Like you're at a different job, you're still going to owe your owe the money. So yes, you you get you'll get the money, you'll get more money, okay, for the next couple months. But you're just going to owe a lot more in taxes. Now it would be a different story if they were saying, okay, we're we're going to just stop withholding the six point two percent, and you're you're not going to owe it. Now the problem with that is Social Security is already a hot mess, and so what happens if you don't have that money coming in? But just deferring it for a couple months, to me. I think that's going to make matters worse. I think a lot of people aren't going to understand that that's what's going on. I think a lot of people are going to spend that money, and maybe that's the intention, and then they're going to be rogered really bad when next year rolls around and they find that all of a sudden their paychecks have gone on dramatically. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are a federal employee, you do not have a, a choice. Federal employees are automatically going to have that 6.2% contribution. That's going to be deferred. So you're going to be getting more money for the next couple months, but you're still going to owe that money down the road. Other employers have the option of whether they do it or not. I, I, I don't, I don't want them. I don't want them increasing artificially my paycheck for the next couple months if I know that I'm going to have to pay, pay it all back. So instead of in January and February and March, instead of just the 6.5%, I'm going to have double taken out. 
How do you feel? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you want the money now, even if it means come January, your paychecks are going to go down dramatically? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My response is, no, thank you. I can manage my own taxes. I I, I don't want that short-term thing if it's going to come back and really bite me in the butt in just a couple months. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Live line. Bob in West Dallas writes, Jeff, I'm sure you make more money than the average person with a family. Um, There are people that could use that money now. But if you don't want the money, then don't take it or donate it to someone who needs it. But see, that's not the point. This, this, This isn't... And we're talking about this this payroll tax deferral starting today. Employers have the option of not of not withholding the six point two percent Social Security tax that, that that they have to otherwise take out. But but here's the catch: you know, if they don't do it, it's not like that tax goes away. You're going to still owe that money. So come January, when you start getting other paychecks, what's going to happen is they're going to have to start taking out double for that, or if you've left your job, you're, you're still going to owe the money. So it's not a question of, of donating the money or leaving the money on the table. It's what the government is essentially doing is kind of giving you a, a loan, I guess, is one way to look at it. But I don't think people are going to realize that, and I think there's going to be sticker shock come January when people start having to pay that money back. Jeff, it's fool's gold. I want Social Security when I'm of age. Nothing is free. People are too short-sighted about this. Jeff, don't mess with Social Security. right? That's And again, that's one of the reasons why they're not going to be able to make this permanent, because you, you need you get money coming in. You can't simply just say, "All right, we're going to just we're going to declare a moratorium on having to pay Social Security tax, and we're going to forget about four or five months worth of that because that that doesn't make any sense either." I'm just saying, I, I understand the need to want to put more money in people's paychecks. I get it. I understand that, but I don't think people are going to realize that. They're going to be in a world of hurt. They're going to have to figure out how to repay that money pretty darn quick. And I think there's going to be, like I say, a lot of sticker shock. Jeff, completely unnecessary and will only confuse people who already have no idea of how taxation is done. Um, yeah. Um, let's see, Jeff. Um, probably good if it's optional and is an on as an as needed basis. Choose wisely. Like I say, federal employees, they, they don't have the choice. All right. Let's talk to Mark. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I'm one of those people that is also uh, not wealthy, to put it uh, lightly. But uh, if you're to tell me that I could get extra money in my paycheck right now, uh, it doesn't seem like that would be very much. And doubly so, the fact that we've got to then pay it back later, any little bit that I would gain right now, but then I'd have to pay back and then some later because I right. still have to pay that tax later, the gain in my check now 
is not worth the reduction in my check later because it's not like I'm going to somehow suddenly become more wealthy in a, in a few months or a half a year when they turn it all around. If I wanted to go out and get a loan, which is essentially what this is, yes. for a small amount of money, I would do just that. I would go get a loan. <laughs> well, well, yeah, exactly. And I think there's going to be a lot of people, Mark, that are going to, okay, hey, great, my, my paycheck just went up by 50 bucks or whatever the amount is. And they're, they're not going to recognize that the reason it went up is that this money that they owe isn't being withheld. And then come January, when all of a sudden, you know, now, now there's going to be a hundred dollars. Yeah. It, well, exactly. And it's going to be what, exactly. what the heck's happened here? No, thanks. I mean, again, I, I, and I, I just, I, I don't know that that's going to make enough of a difference to, to matter to, to people. And I guess I'm just worried that you're going to have average people who end up getting caught up in this and suddenly there there's kind of you know sticker shock and again i know and i and i understand here's a text for example seems to be a convenient mechanism for the trump administration to stoke the economy a bit more between now and the election well and that let's take the election out of it for a minute but but yeah that that's exactly what it is this is an idea we're trying to get more money into people's hands so that they can they can spend it number one to keep the economy going number two to help them you know as they're dealing with the fallout of coronavirus and and i understand that and and that's fine and it's a noble thing and it's why we had the stimulus payments the 1200 bucks that went out to a lot of people but in this case this is not free money it it's money that is going to have to be paid back. And it's Social Security, so I don't think that there's any way, unless we've got some magic way of figuring out how you're going to replace this money that's been withheld. And it's, it's going to be, okay, it might be $50 for an individual or 30 or 40 but but spread that over the entire economy, and you're talking about a significant amount of money not going into Social Security. That money is going to end up having to come back. Let's talk to Fred in Franklin. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, hi. I hi. Oh, I think I smell a rat here going on. You know, people, uh, I think, have forgotten the fact that this is a shared flat tax. The employer also pays the same amount you yes. do. And it's a un, that's an unrepresentative tax that's being called. And the employer is being taxed the same as you are. Now, are they going to be given that same break? I bet you they will. So what are they going to do at the end of the year when they have to come up with the extra amount of money for their employees? Well, they got some fancy tax ways that they can rejuvenate this and the, the amount into their, 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 uh, their business somehow. It's not right. the same as an individual doing that. And I think there's a, I just smell a rat. There's a reason why they're doing this. And I suspect, uh, Trump is, and I have no, I have nothing to say about it as far as Trump, but I think he's got some engineer there to give the business community a little, a little extra money to start putting into the economy for them, themselves. But I yeah, don't I, have the details. And I, and I, and I, and I I, I'm, while you were talking, I was, I was trying to figure it out. I, I don't know off the top of my head whether employers are also exempt from withholding their portion of it. But but you're right. The uh, employers, I, th- I think they might be. I, I think they might be as well. That's but but again, don't don't quote me on that. But yeah, you're you're right. At some, I mean, look here's the effect. I mean, it's it's a it's a sugar rush. That that's what this is. Short 
term, it puts a few more bucks in everybody's pocket. So you get that, that short-term rush. So, yes, you, you have, hey, I've got an extra 50 bucks this week, or I've got an extra 100 bucks this week, or, or whatever. We can go out and buy that stuff. And, and that's all well and good. But, again, it, that sugar rush is only going to last for a little while. And come January, rude awakening for people. That's why, see, I, I think... I just, whenever I see some of these like really, really short term things, the, you know, the, the economics minor in me kind of just says, look, I, I, you know, what, what we need to do is we need to figure out long term sustainable things that, that help people out. And if you've got a way to reduce the taxes so people don't have to pay that 6.2% or whatever that is, okay, then I'm willing to have that conversation. But everybody agrees that you have to do that. So I'm just saying, I, I don't, I hope our employer doesn't do it. If our employer, my employer gave me the option. Do you want that deferred or not? My answer would be no. Just, just take it because, you know, sooner or later I got to settle up. So I mean, I might just need to pay it now. I understand that it might be a short term sugar rush for some people and might help them get over the hump. But if, if that's, if that's you, just understand that come January, all right, you're, you're not only going to have to start having that 6.2% withheld, but they're going to withhold double. So your paycheck's going to go down dramatically, perhaps, in order to make this up. I don't know. I think through it carefully. Make sure you know what you're doing. This is Jeff Wagner.